maybe the reason that you feel forgotten by God and maybe the reason you sense that that prayer is not being answered is because God has something much greater in store for you in mind. This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. Throughout the scriptures, there is a storyline going on through the Bible, what some have described as the scarlet thread of redemption, that if you trace from Genesis 3 on to the end of Revelation to our present day and on to the future of all eternity, God is weaving this red thread of blood all through the scripture to where Jesus is seeking to save the lost. He's seeking to redeem us. And throughout that time, we have people who are prophesying on behalf of his name, people who are interceding on his behalf, and people who are administrating his law and his justice. And so over the next few weeks and months, Lord willing, we're going to scroll through the Old Testament to see who those people are, prophets, priests, and kings. You can start in the very beginning where you have the garden with Adam and Eve, the fall of man occurs, we rebel against God, sin, sorrow, and suffering as a result And then you have the flood that covers all the earth. God says the earth was filled with violence. His anger was kindled. He said to Noah, get in the boat, and this earth will be flooded. And then after a few days, he sent a rainbow, said, I will never flood the earth again in such a way. You have the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God grabbed them out of nowhere and said, I will be your God, and you will be my people. He made a covenant with them that he would remember them forever. You have the Exodus where Moses and Joshua are sent on behalf of of the Lord to lead the people out of, out of bondage and into the promised land. You have the judges, which is a time of lawlessness when there is no ruler in Israel, and God raises up people who will administer justice on his behalf. Then you have the kingdom, which begins with Saul and David and Solomon and moves right on down the line. God, in an earthly sense, seeking to rule out his heavenly purposes And you end with the exile when Israel once again forgets their Lord, once again forgets their purpose, and they're carried away into captivity, first to Assyria and then into Babylon, the northern and southern kingdoms. And then you have about 400 years when you hear nothing until John the Baptist, who's considered one of the last Old Testament prophets, begins to prophesy and say, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. But all along the line, these are not merely random events that are occurring. This is not stuff that's kind of filling in the pages of history until we have time for Jesus to be born. God is working out his purposes and his plans in every area of every life. And to look at these prophets and priests and kings, sometimes we tend to interchange their roles. But let's provide some some definitions for who specifically these people are. A prophet is one who declares the word of the Lord. And so sometimes that would be a special revelation from God on behalf of the people. You think of Jonah sent to Nineveh to tell the people to repent. One who declares the word of the Lord. A priest, on the other hand, is one who intercedes on behalf of the people to the Lord. So you think of Aaron and Levi going in to the tabernacle on the Day of Atonement, interceding on behalf of the people, offering a sacrifice to the Lord. So you have a prophet, you have a priest, and then you have a king, one who administers the law of the Lord, to administer justice and righteousness. You've got good kings, you've got bad kings. Sometimes you've got a good king and a bad king wrapped up in the same person on a given day. But throughout, God is working out his purposes and plans of redemption. There's only one person who has ever existed and will ever exist 
that fulfills each of these purposes of prophet, priest, and king, and that is Jesus. He does it all. But until we get to him, people are left wondering how they can make it apart from the Lord. So look with me as we examine the life of Samuel and also his mother, Hannah, as a result of what the Lord is doing. In verse 1 of Samuel chapter 1, there was a certain man of, I can't pronounce that name, Ramat Ham Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, and a pathrite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hopni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. And on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah his wife and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat and why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat behind the, beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. And she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman, and Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But, An but Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord." Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife. And the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. I remember where I was standing, but I especially remember what it felt like. I was 10 years old. I liked buffets and restaurants quite a bit. We'd been there for an hour and a half. And I went back, I thought, either the second or the third or maybe the fourth time. I'm just going to get a little bit more food. It's going to be great. And then we're going to go home. And I looked out across the restaurant from the buffet table as a 10-year-old chubby kid. And I saw that no one who was sitting at that table two minutes ago was sitting at the table now. And my heart began to drop that plate and began to sink in fear because I realized something had gone on. One, I didn't have a driver's license and couldn't get anywhere on my own. And two, my parents who had just been sitting there two minutes ago had left me behind and had forgotten me. 
I remember going out into the, into the driveway in front of the restaurant in a panic, thinking, man, they have left me, they've gone on. And then sure enough, you know, two minutes later, they pull up, there they are. And I have never forgiven my parents in the 23 years since. It's been a difficult sort of childhood. I ran into a, to a young man a few years after that whose parents had also left him behind. And I said, you know what? I remember how this feels like. I'm going to wait until your mom and dad shows up. And I did because I didn't want him to feel the same way that I did. I don't even like to forget people's names. You know, a name is the most important thing to a person. And so I'll make an effort to, to write the name down and to remember it. I've even got strategies to know your name. If I've forgotten your name, I can get it for you again. Here's what you do. You play it off. You know this. When somebody comes up to you and they're so enthusiastic about knowing you and you have no idea either who they are or what their name is and you try to play it off, here's a way to play it off. Find somebody that you know next to you, pull that person aside and say, I'd like to introduce this person to you. And then the person you don't know will say their name. And so Rick meets Jacob and I say, Rick here and I were just talking. We go way back. You can figure out the name without asking the name. It's a strategy to write it down. Nobody likes to be forgotten. Nobody likes to have their name forgotten. But it's one thing to be forgotten by people, and it's another thing to be forgotten by God. There are people in crowded rooms with a lot of people, with a lot of friends who seem to have it all together, who are nevertheless some of the loneliest people in society. Because for whatever reason, they feel like God has forgotten them. Where you prayed the same prayer so many times, you've been around the same people, over and over again, and you just wonder, is there a wall up there? Is there a ceiling to which God cannot hear? Elkanah, faithful husband, is going to the priest on the Day of Atonement, as would have been his custom. And every year that he goes, he has two wives, which the Bible never prescribes what we live under human circumstances. In fact, when anyone has more than one wife, it never works out well for them. But in any case, he has two wives. One is able to bear him children. One is not able to do so. He goes annually to sacrifice to the Lord at Shiloh. He has the sons of Eli sitting beside him. It would have been the priest, Hophni and Phinehas. And on the day of sacrifice, he gives a portion of the offerings to his family. But the Bible says that when he looked to Hannah... The wife who he apparently favored, he gave her a double portion. And the scripture a lot of times sees double portion as a blessing. The firstborn son would receive a double portion of the inheritance. I like that as a firstborn son. Elisha asked of the Lord for a double portion of the spirit of Elijah. But somewhere in Elkanah's mind, he gives to her because he loves her. But he also knows that the scripture says the Lord had closed her womb. And we don't know why God chooses to bless some with the gift of children and some he chooses to bless in other ways. We live in a world where children are often unwanted, even pre-birth. And then there are others who would say, I would give anything to have a child. Hannah was in the latter category. And we don't know why we live in the world that we do. We do know that sin and sorrow and suffering certainly exist. But we also know that God doesn't withhold good things from His children. And there is nothing in your life to make you better that God will not withhold from you, that God will withhold from you in His time and in His way. 
other words, God never withholds anything from you out of cruelty, but only for your greater good and his greater glory. Well, the other wife in the story doesn't make it easy. Obviously, there's going to be a rivalry when you have more than one spouse in the family. It's hard enough with two people being together. And he would, she would often provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So she's rubbing salt in a wound that already goes pretty deep. And every time Hannah goes up to the house of the Lord, that woman just has to say something. And she says it out of jealousy. She says it out of spite. She says it out of rage. Year after year, time after time. And it's a wonder if Hannah had lived in this day and age why something just didn't snap in her and how she didn't react in violence as it often does nowadays. It it says it got to the point where she wept more than she ate. And surely somewhere in her life as she sought to honor her husband and she sought to honor the Lord and she sought to be faithful in his house, maybe there was a point where she wondered, has God forgotten me? One day her husband says to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? And then he asked a question that would have got him in trouble. Am I not worth more to you than ten sons? And Hannah and every other spouse who has ever existed looked at him and said, Brother, this is not about you. It's interesting how we make categories for everything else. Did you know that people who have dealt with infertility that has ended in a divorce, two out of three of the women who have dealt with that say that the infertility is more difficult than the divorce? We have categories for every other kind of condition. If you've got a condition that needs medication or if you've got a condition that may be terminal, there's support groups around you, there's things you can do. But if somebody's infertile, you know what it usually is? Well, just count your other blessings. And Hannah looks around and she says, I've I've counted these blessings, but I'm just wondering, does God hear to me? It gets to the point where she makes this vow later on in the first chapter we just read. She says, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. So she vows for her son to be consecrated to the Lord's work. Here's the thing about the Lord, wherever you find yourself in life, whether that is a prayer over children or future children or spouse or circumstances or whatever, whenever you ask yourself the question, keep in mind that God never forgets. He remembers. In fact, one person said the entire story of human history is humanity forgetting about God and God remembering his people. Over and over and over again, the Lord remembered Hagar. And her affliction when Sarah kicked her out of the house. Remembered Rahab on the wall when the spies came into Jericho. Remembered Joseph in the prison when even his close family members had deserted him. God remembered. God doesn't forget about us. We forget about him. And here's Hannah 
speaking in her heart. Verse 13 says, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. This was a prayer that only God could hear. She didn't even say it out loud. So much so that Eli, the priest, thinks she's drunk. He looks at her like they looked at Peter on the day of Pentecost. What's going out of your mouth? And God says to Eli, Eli, she isn't drunk. She's not filled with spirits. She's spirit-filled. She says, I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. She says to Eli, look, this isn't the time to play gender stereotypes and roles. I need a word from the Lord. You ever been there? To where you say, God, if I don't hear from you, if I don't know your word, I would rather not eat. I would rather die. Because that's when God moves. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. I will not let you go until I have received the blessing of the Lord. God working through desperate times and desperate places to desperate People. And when Hannah begins to seek the face of the Lord, God responds. Eli says to Hannah in verse 18, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And the Bible says she goes her way and she eats, and her face is no longer sad. And then they do what David does after he repents. They go and they worship. And the Bible says in verse 19, highlight this, The Lord remembered her. Because our God does not forget his own. She names him Samuel. Translated in his name, I have asked for him from the Lord. And she says something that's been put to music for this child I prayed. She dedicated him to the Lord's work. wonder how many moms have prayed that over their kids Lord, if you'll straighten out my son's life. Lord, if you'll be with him, I'll give him to you. I say that Monica, the father of the church, the mother of church father, Augustine, rather, waited on the docks and slept the night before the day her son was to depart from Rome. She was so concerned for his spiritual state. He left in the middle of the night and walked around her while she was sleeping. She woke up the next day. Later on, he became a believer as a result of remembering his mother's prayer. He said, Thou didst not then grant what she was asking in order to grant her what she has always been asking. And maybe the reason that you feel forgotten by God, and maybe the reason you sense that that prayer is not being answered is because God has something much greater in store for you in mind. And this is how Hannah will respond in chapter 2, verse 1. She prays and says, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk so more so very proudly. Let not arrogant comes, arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge. By him actions are weighed. 
And the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread. Those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren is born seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and he makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces against them. He will thunder in heaven, the Lord will judge the end of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his salvation. Don't be afraid in pleading with God to ask of Him great things and to keep on asking. I'm convinced that most of the time we don't receive because we don't ask. And God says, I desire to give to you more than you desire to ask it yourself. But when we ask, we have to ask according to His will. It's a form of worship when we do, because most of the time we spend our lives trying to conform God's will to our will, rather than saying like Jesus, not my will, but thine be done. And who but knows that the prayer that's not being answered for you right now, that God is choosing to answer in a totally different way that would bless you in a way beyond which you could even believe. He always has something better in mind There's a Christian music artist a number of years ago that talked about her struggle with wanting to be married, with wanting to have a child, and realizing later on in life that that might not ever happen. As a result of God working in her life, she wrote a song about mothers who had experienced abortions, who had gone through with it. And she said as she had finished a a concert, a testimony came on about someone who had listened to the song, the lyrics go like this. It's called a baby prayer. If I should die before I wake, I pray her soul you'll keep. Forgive her, Lord. She doesn't know that you gave life to me. She said there were literally scores and scores of mothers who would come up to her and say, God, use that song. And I kept the baby. And this is what the testimony of this artist was. She said, God has shown me that more children have been born through that song than I could ever bear. Working in ways in which we could not see. Because God does not forget His own. Samuel's birth wasn't the only working of God in his life. He also raises up a faithful and true priest. The Bible describes in chapter 2, verse 12, the sons of Eli as worthless men. They did not know the Lord. And in verse 17, they desecrated the altar. They didn't take the offering in the way the Lord had prescribed. And he says, thus the sins of the young men were very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with Contempt In verse 25, they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel, in verse 26, continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Who does that sound like in Luke 2.52? 
In verse 35, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he will go in and out before my anointed forever. Not only does God remember Hannah's broken heart, not only does he remember her prayer, but he remembers her vow. And when Samuel is given to the Lord's work, literally dedicated to him, surely Hannah must have said, you're throwing away your life, Samuel. Don't you do that. Go out and have a real career. As if dedicating your life to the Lord means the rest of your life is over with. I wish God would get in our heads sometimes. Dedicates him to the Lord. He goes to the temple and in the middle of the night as he's studying the law of the Lord, he hears a voice saying, Samuel, Samuel. He goes to Eli and says, I hear this voice. Did you call for me? And Eli said, it wasn't me. Repeats it three times. And finally, Eli, even though his life has been altered and his, his kids haven't turned out the way he thought he would be, still hears from the Lord. And he says, go back. And when you hear that voice again, you say, yes, Lord, your servant is listening. That's what Samuel does. He hears the voice of the Lord. Dear friends, if you want to hear from God... You have to be in His Word. And you have to be willing to say whatever it takes, Lord. I am willing, even if it seems like your presence is not there, even when it seems like you're far away, I'll do what you've commanded because I believe that what you say is true. I believe your promises are for me. And here's the thing. Sometimes we have impressions on our hearts and in our lives where God will say something to us or seem to say something. And the way that you measure whether or not that's the Lord or your flesh or the devil or whoever is back it up with Scripture. Because God will never say anything that contradicts His Word. That's why we have to be daily in the Word. You can't obey the Word if you don't know the Word. To be doers of the Word and not hearers only, not just to flip open a random page and say, God will speak to me right then. He will. But to know the whole counsel of God. To see from cover to cover that scarlet thread of the Bible running through that God does not forsake His own. And at the end of all of this line, Samuel's life isn't free from trouble. He has to deal with the destruction of Saul and the anointing of David and everything that came to Israel during that time period. But he points to someone who is only the faithful and true priest. His name is Jesus, and he's a prophet and a priest and a king. And when you turn to him in repentance and faith, the same God who remembered Hannah and Joshua and Rahab and Moses and everyone else will remember you too, if you'll trust in him. Because we serve a God who does not forsake his own. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at veryefields.com.